Greetings and good morning to everyone. It is a beautiful day out today. We hope you all have been enjoying your wonderful weekend. We are here once again in fellowship for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who reigns on the throne. So let us join in in praise and worship and giving honor to God to let him know how good he is. good, so good, you're good, 
so good you are good so good so good so good lord you are good and your mercy endureth forever and ever and ever lord you are good and your mercy endureth forever people from every nation and tongue from generation to generation we worship you hallelujah hallelujah we worship you for who you are lord we worship we worship you hallelujah The Lord is good. Isn't he so good? But let us take a moment just to reflect on our lives and all of our experiences and what we've gone through and how when we were unbelievers in Christ, how we would continually do things that were not necessarily favorable good things. But yet, we received grace and mercy over our lives, despite us. So let us open in prayer for a moment, just to thank the Lord. Gracious Lord God, Father, we just come before you right now, just to give you thanks for who you are, and for your grace and your mercy over our lives. You reign forever on the throne, you love us unconditionally, and we are just so grateful and thankful to you who reigns on the throne forever and ever. Great is your mercy. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Great is your mercy towards me. Your loving kindness towards me, your tender mercies I see day after day. Always providing 
And I'm hoping that you were blessed as much as I was standing here. Would love to have you guys in person. And yet that will be coming somewhere soon and down the line, or I should say down the line. And we are grateful that we can still be here with you guys. Grateful for the opportunity to be able to, to speak before you. I thank our sister Melanie for continuing to lead us in worship. Um, as she blesses us and as she leads us into the throne of God. And so this morning, I want us to look at Scripture here. We take a little bit of a turn, and we're going to look into the Gospel of John. And I know that we just celebrated here in 
our nation Independence Day, and my mind has been towards true freedom and what that actually is. And so we want to be able to get God's thought, God's mind on what freedom is. And this morning, I want you to turn with me to the book of John, chapter 8. We're going to be looking at chapter 8 and a little of chapter 10 and chapter 8, verses 31 through 38 or 39, although I'm going to be looking at more all the way down to um, verses 45. And then also in John chapter 10, verses 7 through 11. And so if you would turn there with me, I'm going to title this text, True Freedom Is, and then we're going to let you see what that is. We'll be looking at two points from that. True freedom is, there's a freedom from and a freedom to or freedom toward. And we want you to be able to see what God has to say about what true freedom is. Join with me in prayer, and then we'll go from there into God's word. Father, thank you again for your love for us, Lord. Thank you that you have given those who have trusted you, those who are following you, those who love you, God, freedom that only you can bring. And yet that freedom, oh God, is in a world um, we live out that freedom in a world that is not free, a world, oh God, that is marred by the sin that you came to deliver many from and the consequences and the results of it. And this morning, we pray that as we hear from your word what true freedom is, that we would seek to live in it and seek to trust it. And Lord, seek to be able to allow you to use us to demonstrate this freedom but also that you would allow us, O oh Lord, to live it out and to invite others into this and to call others into this freedom. And then from that, that we would live as people that are free spiritually. And then, O oh God, we would seek to continue to help to let freedom, O oh God, physically, Lord, be realized, be experienced as much as it can in this world that has fallen. And so we commit ourselves to you. Open our eyes this morning. In the name of Christ Jesus, amen. And so as we look here at chapter 8, Jesus now has been <clears throat> giving this discourse. Earlier in 8, we see that he is talking about being the light of the world and that he frees from darkness and that when indeed <clears throat> people have, people are following him and have trusted in him that they are no longer in darkness, that they see the way life is supposed to, it's, uh, supposed to be seen, and they live in the way that they are supposed to live and how they were intended to live, and that darkness is dispelled initially in them, and then darkness can be dispelled out and around in the world as they engage it. And so he talks to them about being the light of the world, and of course he is, he is in um, stark contrast to the Pharisees, those religious elite, those who were comfortable in their status and their situation in life, in their position, but did not understand truly how they were still enslaved and how they were still in bondage. And although they were living under Roman oppression, there was a greater oppression in play, and that was what was inside of them. And so true freedom is um, freedom from, which is what I'm going to do first, freedom 
from, and first of all, the enslavement to sin. So Jesus now gets into verse 31, having told them verse in, I mean, having told them first in verse 24 of that same chapter, he says to them, I told you, I told you that you, and he's talking to the crowd there, would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And so he was talking to this religious elite, this group that thought that they had set themselves up and apart because of what they have inherited or what was brought down physically. And what they did not understand is that what Jesus was calling for and what he was proclaiming was a freedom from something. And first was that freedom from an enslavement to sin. He says, you will die in your sins. And the implication there is that they were currently in sin that would lead to eternal separation from God. And although enslavement here is atrocious, and although it is wicked and evil, the greater enslavement to sin spiritually is worse because it not only destroys you in this life, but it but but it destroys you forever. There is an eternal destruction. And so he says to them, listen, if you don't believe that I am he, he who, the one who has been sent, ordained the Messiah that they should have been looking for, um, but instead they were comfortably sitting around in their sin. He said, unless you believe, trust in, embrace that I am he, he says, you will die and you will die a sinner. And if that happens, that is the worst thing that can happen to you. And he says to them, that can change based on how you see me and who you see me to be and how you embrace me. So he says the enslavement to sin, we think of Romans chapter 6, verses 12 through 23, when he talks about this enslavement to sin and that Jesus came so that so that its deadly nature of sin will no longer have dominance over us. The scripture says that sin shall no longer have dominion over you. That's why Christ came, that it isn't just the actual deeds that you do and the works that you do. Yes, that comes from the sinful heart, but it is who you are. And he says to them, listen, there is freedom in this. Paul reminds us in Romans that when you come to Christ, when you embrace him, when you settle in your heart, that he is the one that you will follow, that he is the one that sets the tone for your life. The first thing that happens is that he breaks those chains of enslavement to sin that was brought on to us through Adam's initial sin, that, 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 that original sin of man still rests in us and in everything we touch. And so it is freedom from the enslavement of sin. It's deadly nature that is at work. And we see it around us today in everything that is happening, everything we touch everything we get involved in, everything we do is tainted by it. Even in the good that we seek, we always have to be mindful that if Christ is not working in us, sin is working in us. 
And even as Christ is working in us, we battle that sin. But here is the point. When you are in Christ, you battle from a position of victory. You are not helpless nor hopeless because now Christ has broken its chain. Its power of enslavement can no longer dominate you. So you ask, why is it that people who proclaim to be in Christ are still enslaved by sin? Is either they don't know it or they may not be free or they may be ignoring the fact that they are free. You can have all of the things and benefits in this life at your disposal and never ever use it and it will do you no good. And so I say for the follower of Christ, if indeed Christ is in you and you are still bowing to sin on a regular basis, you are either living outside of what God has done for you through Christ, or you may need to check to see if you are really in Christ. And so if there is no change, if your life does not look like the life of Christ, if the things you do, the things you say, the way you respond, what you embrace does not look like Christ, you have to start asking yourself some questions. Is that, am I truly, am I really belonging to Christ? It should show in the way that I live my life, in the decisions that I make. No, not perfectly. Does that mean that I will never sin again? No, it does not. As a matter of fact, in the provision that Christ made for sin, he frees us from its enslavement, but he also frees us from its deadly ongoing process. And then he also saves us from that future destruction that sin brings about on our world, which is eternal death. And so he does this freedom from its freedom from the enslavement to sin, its deadly nature, its deceptive promises. James tells us that when you fall into temptation, it is because that sin has caught something in you that you like and that you want. And then when lust is conceived and when sin is conceived, it, it, it actually brings forth, it brings forth death. And so what he says is the deception is it looks good. It may even taste good and feels good, but you're not looking at the end. You may be enjoying a privilege that is a result of sin, but what he is saying is that at the end of that, and I don't know when the end comes, that end may come sooner, it may come later, but it eventually will come, and when it comes, it brings with it complete destruction. It may even be destroying some things in your life right now. It may be... it. It may actually be destroying relationships. It may be tearing down your family. It may be destroying things in your career, destroying things in our society. We see it happening right now. Sin has a destructive element to it that everything it touches, it destroys. It may tell you it looks good and sounds good, but it is ultimately going to destroy and so enslavement to sin is what the freedom is from, its deadly nature, its deceptive promises, and then its destructive end. Because it will separate you eternally, forever from God, and will thoroughly destroy. 
And we don't see that right now. We don't like to look at that. We are people, especially in Western society and especially in America, we like to look at the, um, the, the immediacy of our benefits. We want what we want and we want it now, but we don't see its destructive end. And we need to be looking at what's going to happen down the line if I continue in my sinful ways. If I don't embrace the things that Christ embraced, if I live a life that is purely for myself, if I live a life that is based on my own desires and my own will, if I live a life that is outside of the things of God, there is a destructive end. And so it is the enslavement to sin that we are free from. But then the next thing that is we are free from is an enslavement under Satan. If you can jump with me whenever Jesus now is talking to them about who they belong to, the Pharisees in trying to um, elevate themselves and trying to latch on to something in the past that they think is holding them in the future. We go to verse 39 and they say they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works of Abraham. And he says, but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that heard from I me mean, that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. And when he's telling them, although you are trying to claim an ancestral safety, he says, what you don't realize is that you are really under Satan. He goes on down because they, he says, you are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we are not born of sexual immorality. He said, we have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. And then he says, why do you not understand what I say? He answers his own question. It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. Why? He answers because what? You are of your father, the devil, and you and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Here's what he says. He says, you are in enslavement under Satan if you are outside of Christ. I know that's a hard thing to hear for many people, but he says that if Christ is not your Lord, there is someone that is your Lord and it is driving everything you do and say. Even if you do some good out in this world, your purpose and who you are, your very character is seated under Satan, he says to them, you claim Abraham, he said, because, but, but you seek to kill me. He said, this is not the character of Abraham. This is not the character of someone that would be following God. And I say today, if you are someone that is seeking to destroy others, if, 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 if you are seeking to, to live in hatred and in sin, and in racism and in murder, I'm talking about murder, yes, in our society of, of, 
of innocent people, but I'm also talking about murder in society of innocent unborn as well. And so it goes between those who aren't born and even those who are born that you hate and that you malign and that you and that you devalue. God says you can't say that you are of me and do these things on a regular and practical basis. That's not my character. So we have to ask our question uh, of ourselves, whose character are we living out of? If I am a person of hatred, if I'm a person of trying to devise things and systems that will keep people down and that will push people out or that will not allow people to be brought into existence, all of it is not at the heart of God. Every single part. I always have a problem when a person that can hate someone else in our world and claim to love God. God says that in scripture, he's how can you say you love God who you don't see and hate your brother who you see every day? God says, that's not my character. He says here to them, he says, you say you belong to Abraham and that you are of that character of this great ancestor of yours. But by you seeking to kill me unjustly tells me that you don't belong to God. Jesus said that. And so now he comes and he says to them, listen. He says, you need to be freed because his system. And when, 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 when the scripture speaks of Satan as the God of this world, he is the one that is influencing people that are making decisions and are setting up patterns and governments, all kinds. I know we like to highlight certain, but all of them have been tainted by his character and his hand. And that enslavement under Satan all also speaks about his character. He says that when he lies, he speaks out of his own character. And so he says that when you purpose your life and live your life under him, your character mimics his character, and he says when he lies, that's all that he really can do. He is acting as he really is. He may put on a show sometimes and speak a little bit of truth just to make you believe that he really is someone different, but when he lies, that's not an exception. When he, when he does these evil things, that's not an exception. That's actually who he really is. Sometimes in our society, we see people that will display different characteristics and then they may want to come back and say, you know, I have to apologize for that. But sometimes you may have to say to that person, you really can't apologize for who you are. You don't need an apology. You may need a heart change. And for some of us today, we'll say things and we'll come back and we'll try and clean it up or we'll do things and we'll come back and we'll try and clean it up or we'll treat people in certain ways and we'll come back and we'll try and clean it up because we want to look good. But what's really happening and what's really being said is you are demonstrating what's in your character. And so the freedom from is a freedom from enslavement to sin and is and it's a freedom from enslavement under Satan. But then also it is this freedom from enslavement to self. And he says here, I'm going to go back to our main text. 
So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And he says, they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? I find that interesting that they say that this enslavement to self, this was a very much a self-deception. Why? Because as these Jews were saying that, that they were currently under Roman oppression, that's number one. But they seem to conveniently forget when they say that we've never been enslaved to anyone, I go, okay, hold on a second. Can we go on back to when you were enslaved in Egypt? Oh, and, and, and just in case that's not enough, can we go back to when you were enslaved under Babylon? I, 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 and so help me out that you've never been enslaved. It is this self-deception. It is this, it is this mindset that you really don't own up to what is really happening. And so, for them to say, yeah, they might not have felt that they were totally enslaved, but their comment kind of told on them the hypocrisy that they were living in. <clears throat> and so they said to them, how can you say, how can you say that we need to be free? We are not free. We are our own people. It's a quote from commentary that I read earlier this week. And I want to read that quote just as it was because I love it. It says, people do not always or even usually realize they are in bondage. They tend to rest in some fancied position, privilege, whether it's national, social, or religious. The Jews here were proud of their religion didn't know their need to be free. And even if we attain some level of freedom in this life, if our initial freedom is not in Christ, it will taint any freedom that we gain in this life. Oh, we're not saying don't seek freedom. We're not saying don't seek to break oppression. Do that in the way that God, in, in, in a way that continues to honor God. I'm speaking to believers. I can't tell the world to do this. I mean, I can tell them to do this. I can proclaim it. But if they are not wanting to follow God, remember what Jesus said to them that believe. He said, if you abide in me, uh, verse, verse 31, he said to the Jews who had believed, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. He sets the context for it. There were those that after he spoke, they initially believed, and yet they did not fully go all the way to trusting Christ because he now turns to them. And these are the same people that says Abraham is our father. So how do you say that we're free? They started to believe in who Jesus is, but would not allow themselves to go all the way and embrace him as he had stated himself to be. Dangerous place to be. Dangerous. You know Jesus is real. You know he is true. You know what he has said has to be, could be, should be, but there is something in your life, in your society, in your world that you are holding on to that keeps you from embracing him all the way. And then you think that you're all right 
even though you kind of know that Jesus is out there, boy, that's a dangerous place because you will never let go of what you're holding on to to embrace Christ. Enslavement from self. And that self, of course, is being influenced <clears throat> by sin under the system of Satan. And so it is freedom from, it is freedom from having to live bitter. It is freedom from having to depend upon all these different things around us that are temporary for our sustenance, for what is going to sustain us. It is the freedom from thinking that my house, my career, my 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 family, my anything is going to help me, is going to affect me, is going to change me ultimately. It may help change my environment and my situation and great. It may enhance it. It may help to make life more bearable. But if the only freedom I have is here, how miserable is that? And once again, do we seek freedom here? Yes, but it is a temporary freedom. And I want to put it in perspective. And if initially and if firstly you get freedom in Christ and then you seek for freedom here on earth, it is a properly placed freedom. It is a proper perspective of freedom. And so that you can stand from a strong position of proclaiming freedom in Christ and, pro and proclaiming justice for our world. And both can happen. And so not only is it a freedom from, it is a freedom to. It is a freedom to. Freedom to what? And we go on down is this freedom to live as you ought to. Understand this. It's a concept that I heard years ago and I still, still live by. Freedom is not the freedom to live as you want. Today and all that's going on, I hear people screaming and, 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 and claiming freedom to do what they want. We see it in something as simple as the debate over, and yes, I'm going to go there wearing a mask or not. And it is this whole issue of rights. And so I would say freedom is, and I'm not, I'm, freedom is, let me just say it, the, the, the ability to do what's right once we know what that is, not to live as I want. And we can apply that to every situation in our lives as Christ followers. It is the freedom to live as I ought to, not the freedom to live as I want to. How ought I to live as one who has proclaimed that he or she, that I have entrusted Christ as the head of my life? How ought I to live? And sometimes that will infringe on how I want to live. And it guides us and it governs us. And it gives to us this sense of purpose. So this freedom too is this freedom to purpose, first of all, that we have this purpose that is beyond us, that is above us, and is a freedom to live for God. He says here in verse 31, he says that if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. 
And it is this bondage to them initially and in context here of who Jesus is, this freedom to see him as he really is and the intent that he has for all of them and us included in life. It is this freedom to live as we were intended to. When I think about that, sometimes it is this freedom to love God. I mean, all the time, the freedom to love God through Christ, which sometimes causes us to lose to desire to live as I want. But not only is this freedom of purpose, it is this freedom of protection as well. It is this freedom to protection. Go with me to John chapter 10. And as we look further, Jesus is talking about now that him being the good shepherd. And then he starts off by actually saying to them that, that, that he is the door to the sheep or to the sheep fall to the gate. And it was known that the shepherds would lie at the entrance of it because the sheep would not climb over. He would be able to govern in the guard. And when he says, I am the door, the thought was that he is one that lays at the entrance. Um, now, not only is it so that the sheep won't get out or go about in places that are dangerous, is so that none that are evil will get in. And when the wolves come, if they have to, or if they attempt to come in to the sheepfold, they have to deal with the shepherd is in that text that he says, those that are hired hands that don't really have a concern for the sheep will get up and run when there's a threat. But the shepherd that knows that those sheep are his, he sits at the gate and he protects. And so it's the freedom not only to purpose, but it's a freedom to protection. Verse seven says, so Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Get that picture. It is a freedom to not only purpose, but is a freedom to protection. Protection from the evil one, from Satan and his system and his wanting to dominate. But is a freedom, this, this, this protection also from even yourself and deception. He says, because he's watching and you go in and out at his permission because he's at the entrance gate. And when you go in and out, it's because he's leading in and out. He's approving of your in and out and you find pasture. In other words, he is the one that is governing your well-being. He is protecting all of your life. Many times when we're on the road, we'll see guardrails. And guardrails may seem restrictive. They may seem like they're hemming you in, but most times, guard, actually all the time, guardrails are put up in places that pose grave danger and they are keeping you in. And perhaps if you hit it 
And I know this example doesn't go the full way because if you hit a guardrail too hard, you'll go through and over and the danger that it's preventing you from, you'll experience. But guardrails are there. Sometimes when we come by, even if you may tap it, it's still keeping you in. And God is your guardrail. He is he, he is the one that is protecting you from outside and from yourself. So it is this freedom to protection. But then also, and lastly, it is this freedom to pasture. I love this. This speaks of both satisfaction and nourishment. He says that if anyone enters through me, verse 9, verse 9, he says, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Pasture spoke of both nourishment, that which would help you to grow, help you to develop, help you to spread out as you needed to. The satisfaction that you're looking for in Christ is to be found under the shepherding arm and eye of Jesus Christ. True freedom is freedom to live in the pastures of God as he directs and as he gives you what is needed for nourishment and, and for satisfaction, he is the one doing it, freedom too. And thus you can even enjoy the freedom out in our world even more. You can enjoy what's on this planet in spite of its sinful, destructive nature and all that is happening. You can enjoy the freedom that God gives of pasture because he is leading in and out. He is guiding around. He is hemming you in. He is setting up guardrails. He is directing where to go. He is telling you how to live. He is directing how you engage other people around you and in society. And you do it from this sense of freedom. And so you are free to engage your society because your satisfaction is not based on rooted in that society. Yes, you use the things that are there and that are given. Yes, you enjoy what God allows you to enjoy around you. But the satisfaction comes from how he directs, how he leads, how he gives. And thus it is not dependent on anything temporary. So if it is taken, even though it causes discomfort and may even cause some pain, and if serious enough and the Lord allows it, brings about your death, it is still out of freedom. And that you live for something greater than yourself. You live for something greater than your thoughts and your own mind. You live for God. And that shows in how you live with man. And so I say today and I ask you, we could talk on and on and on about different aspects of freedom, but I wanted to talk today, are you experiencing true freedom? Freedom from enslavement to sin, enslavement under Satan, and enslavement to self? And are you experiencing freedom too toward a purpose beyond yourself, beyond a protection for yourself and, and freedom to a pasture that will develop you and that will satisfy self in the way God intended. All of us are seeking freedom of some sort and in many areas.
if it doesn't start with freedom in Christ, it will ultimately lead to dissatisfaction in your life. And that regardless of what you get, it will be tainted. But if your freedom starts with Christ, every other freedom that you gain, anything else just adds to the satisfaction, adds to the purposes, adds to the protection of God because it is rooted in God. And I ask you, what kind of freedom do you want? The one that is short-lived, that can be taken and possibly given by someone beyond you, or the freedom that Christ gives that no one, because they cannot overpower him, they cannot come in and replace God, the freedom that he gives, and then it blesses every other freedom that you get. True freedom is. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that, Lord, that in you there is true freedom. Father, in you there is There is true satisfaction. There's purpose. There's protection. There's pasture. Father, that in you there is a freedom from enslavement to sin. Father, enslavement under Satan and enslavement to self. Father, we know too that as you set free, as you, as you deliver us, God, that we, that we have this freedom of movement in you knowing that we're loved, knowing that we're cared for, and that regardless of what our world says, regardless of what sinful men and women say, Father, we stand knowing that we are fully loved. We can embrace that, knowing that we are fully free. Lord, you say in your word, God, that you came that we might have life and have it to the full and have it abundantly. And Father, that abundance is first because of who you are and how we understand and recognize who you are and live out of that fullness. And regardless of whether we have or we don't have, whether it's given or whether it's taken, we are free. And so, Father, today we pray that we would recognize that true freedom, oh God, exists only in you, only in embracing you, only in abiding in you, only in living in you and for you and then in being directed by you. I pray that we would live in true freedom. Father, I pray that we would live according to your word. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen. This morning, if you, as you are listening to this, realize that that, that, that freedom that God wants, that initial one is not yours, you can change that. When Christ came lived, died, and was resurrected. He did that for freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free, not to live just by some set of rules, but to live this abundant life that is out of him releasing you from sin, from the enslavement in this world, and releasing you to something in the way that you were intended. If this morning you have not experienced that freedom, you can bow right where you are. You can recognize that Christ is the only answer and the remedy for your sin, only. When he came, he said he came, that he would be able to set us free from it. It would break the chains of it. When he said he came, he came indeed 
that he would loose you from the hand of Satan and would set you free. And so you, you realizing that Christ is who he says he is and that you in repentance ask for forgiveness and that you receive his finished work, what he has done for you on the cross. And when he was resurrected, you can experience that freedom and begin the abundant life that was intended when Christ came. If you do that today, can you write to us? Can you write to us on the email that you'll see at the end of our time together and let us know so that we can communicate back with you? And, or maybe you have a friend that's been praying for you, someone that has been talking to you about Christ. You can connect back with them however you can at this time. But don't let this day pass and you not understand what true freedom is. Don't just seek a freedom that will end uh, at its latest when you die. It may end before then, depending on circumstances in our world. We don't know. But initially, grab hold of the freedom that is in Christ to live the way that you ought to, that you were intended. Continue to enjoy this weekend Continue to enjoy this Independence Day weekend. Continue to enjoy what God has provided for you. Continue to enjoy the people he's allowed to be in your life. Continue to enjoy your weekend. And have a good week. God bless you. You've been listening to a broadcast of Solid Word Bible Church located at 4374 West 52nd Street, Indianapolis, Indiana. And if you made the decision to give your life to Christ, would you please share it with us so we can rejoice with you and also pray for you. Again, thank you for joining us and may God continue to keep you until next time.